0: This is the two on one podcast. Bang! Hi, uh, this is two on one, the internet's top sensation, where we take a pop culture phenomenon and talk to a theological phenomenon and see all these phenomena happening. I'm the Reverend Arthur Stewart, one of your co hosts.
1: I'm your other co host, the Reverend Seventy Kendall. And um, our guest today is quite a uh, spiritual phenomenon. Uh, so excited.
0: I am so excited too. I wanted, though, since we're doing Clue, to tell you a true story that happened when I was fifteen years old. Do So uh, there's an extent. There's all sorts of varieties and versions of Clue because it's based on Cluedo out of I think Sweden. And a friend of mine had the extended version of Clue, which had fifteen rooms, fifteen characters, and fifteen murder weapons. Ooh. So I did the math on it, and I need to pull it back up. But like that means that there are. 3375 300, 3, different possibilities where if you you know you draw the murder weapon you draw the character you draw the location yeah there were six of us playing and we all got six cards so my friend dave and it's his house and i, I, I dave says it was corporal gray in the solarium with the chainsaw i don't remember what the guess was but we went around the room and none of us could disprove it. And he was like, no. And we're like, yeah. So he went and he pulls out the cards and it's Colonel Gray in the solarium with uh, the chainsaw. And we lost our minds because the odds of that happening are, I don't think it's just one in 3,375. I think it's way bigger than that, right?
1: Who are our math people out there? <laughs> Let us yeah. know what the actual uh, odds of that are.
0: Uh, and uh, And I loved it. And he was just like, this is one of the coolest things that's ever happened. And it's such a minor little thing. And then I thought, you know, what are what are other occasions in which you just kind of hit the jackpot, right? We didn't play another game of Cluedo. And I realized I hit the jackpot. I'm getting ready to do advocacy days up in Topeka. Maybe I've already done them. I don't know. And I'm wearing my orange Jeff one row stole, which I use for advocacy. And every time I put it on, I realized I hit the jackpot with this. It's exactly what I want.
1: I love that. When I was in high school, we had, uh, in PE, we had an archery unit and I wasn't really into it. And my, prof- la- teacher, not my professor teacher comes up to me and I'm holding the bow and arrow and it's like, you know, ready to go. Um, uh, but I'm talking to my friends and she's like, Stephanie, like shoot the arrow. And I dead pander and lifted it and go like this and bullseye it. No. <laughs> uh, and everyone again, also lost their minds And was like, Whoa, and she was like, and like, how do you what do you say to that? Because also, you know, I've got the you know, I'm 17, so I'm just like, what? <laughs> just archery genius over here. Uh archery genius. and having never shot a bone before in my life, and it very much feels like hitting the bullseye every single time with Jeff One Row because my stoles continue to be the thing that I, you know, are beautiful. They say. Things about me theologically that I don't have to, they uh, help me show up in spaces, uh, both pastorally and with sometimes certain authority that I need as a female pastor. Uh, Jeff, like what you wear matters and uh, for lots of different reasons, or it can, I should say. And uh, in this instance, it does. Um, our Jeff One Stoles and anything that Jeff makes, because he makes really? all the things. I believe you have a list off the top of your head that you can say.
0: I memorized it. Uh, Jeff Wonder Designs is a purveyor of stoles, banners, processionals, frontals, altar accessories, face masks. Uh, for 17 years, they've been making Ordinary Time Extraordinary. Jeff Wanro Designs will work with you to create seasonally appropriate, liturgically uh, powerful. And just hit the jackpot with Jeff Wonder Designs. You don't have to be an archery genius to know that this is a good Thing happening, and for our viewers, right here, you can see our promo for Jeff One Row. Or right below, you can put in our promo code two on one one five. Two on one is all letters, one five is all numbers for 15% off your entire stole order. Now, you may be thinking, Do you mean off one stole? No, you order one stole, you get 15% off if you use the code. If you do two stoles, you get 15% off. If you do two stoles, you, you, you get 15% off. If you do one stole,
1: <laughs> Yes, because if you do two Six plus stores. one plus two
0: stalls. <laughs> and that is how it works. We thank Jeff row Designs for being our lead sponsor. As always, yeah. go to Jeff Wunrow, J-E-F-F-W-U-N-R-O-W. I do know how to spell it, ShandaJah.com. And we will make things happen.
1: Okay. Well, you can go to Jeff
0: Wunrow, ShandaJah.com. No,
1: jeffwunro but now I feel like we need to buy a new, and uh, we need to just buy that. We need um. to buy
0: Jeff Wondero Shonda Jada, um. <laughs> Okay, well, that's a good use of our sponsorship money. So go ahead. <laughs> By the way, archery jeans. That's
1: spent, so it's okay. That's.
0: <laughs> I took a. I took gym by correspondence in high school. Don't ask me how it works, but that's why I'm so dedicated to physical health. Okay, let's I mean, bring I'm in- I'm
1: clearly at the Olympics for archery, so.
0: <laughs> Let's bring in Alan. Harris is coming in. Hello, welcome to Two on One. We are so glad you're with us today.
2: It is wonderful to be with you. How wonderful. Thank you for inviting me, Stephanie and Arthur. I so appreciate it.
1: We are so excited to have you. Uh, you and I have been friends for a little bit now. Not, I mean, not. I mean, yeah, we have all sorts of connections, uh, and this is just another one of our our, our deep network of of uh, ways in which we uh, connect and contribute to the work and ministry of each other. Uh, and we are so grateful that you are here. Our deuces uh, may not know this part of the story, although if you followed me a couple weeks ago on Twitter, uh, I was like, I'm watching Clue, so generally when I'm tweeting about some random pop culture (laughs) thing, all of our deuces know what's coming up on the docket, Um, but Alan, uh, I know you, Arthur knows you, tell the world who you are, uh, what you're doing, and why Clue?
2: Oh my goodness. Well, so I am Alan V. Harris. I got to get a little branding in there. Um, V for Vernon through my mother's lineage. Um, I grew up in uh, New Mexico, the infamous Roswell, New Mexico. Went to school in Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, An incredible first ministry at Park Avenue Christian Church, where you Have
1: heard of it. Have heard of it.
2: Uh, And then uh, really made my... uh, uh, made my ministry settle into that that perfect place here in Cleveland, Ohio, at uh, Franklin Circle Christian Church, a very diverse urban uh, downtown congregation. And then, uh, surprised by the Holy Spirit and um, some very persistent friends, became called as a regional minister, first in the Christian Church capital area, which is the uh, Maryland, DC, Northern Virginia, uh, Delaware area. And then um, that was uh, needed to change for a whole host of reasons, came back and thought I was going to be moving into the nonprofit world when, again, friends and that pesky Holy Spirit uh, decided to call me to another uh, regional ministry position here in Ohio. Uh, So I am the regional pastor and president, uh, no need to salute but you can, uh, of the Christian Church in Ohio, and I have been since April of 2021. So it's just a little bit about me. My husband and I live in a beautiful renovated home in a historic section of Cleveland called Ohio City, and uh, that's where I am doing most of my ministry out of right now, and quickly becoming a podcast star. Am I right?
1: Absolutely. Okay.
2: I just cool.
0: realized two
2: of our seven
0: guests in 2022 uh, are in Ohio because Nathan Russell uh, kicked off.
2: The- oh, oh, oh Nathan that. Russell. Yes. Yes. No. He got, to, he got to be part of your Stephen Sondheim yes.
1: part. Yes, as he did. He did.
2: <laughs> and of course, if you,
0: if you have other Ohio based theologians, we can interview, we need 10 more to keep the trend up.
2: So, Okay uh uh only cool ones and yep. those would be the only ones i'd well, know anyway so, so speaking <laughs> of only cool ones let's talk about clue the 1985 uh murder
0: mystery comedy by john landis and john i forget the other name of them but it's the guys who would do blues brothers and my cousin Vinny and that kind of oeuvre of films did clue and it had an all-star cast of b-list comedians and madeline Kahn. Uh, and Tim B-list Curry. comedians.
1: I'm sorry. Moll. Did you call Christopher Lloyd and Tim Curry B-list comedians? Oh, okay. okay. I am so I,
2: offended from the get-go. This is. Take that, I take wow. that.
0: I take that back. I was thinking of Martin Mull, who I adore, but he's never. And okay, you know what? Sure. I would like to walk all of this back.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I mean, actually, if you're known a lot for um, Red Roof in commercials. Yeah, sure. maybe that's well it's He was right.
0: the he was the boss on Roseanne, who was kind of gay. Um, not, not I think he
1: was like very. I don't know how kind of he was. I'm pretty sure he was just yeah. Real gay.
0: But it's, it's anyway improvi- improvisational comedians who are able to do this movie yeah. with the indisputable Leslie Ann Warren and Eileen yeah. Brennan, and it's uh, based on the board game Clue, which and is where.
2: I need to start. Go ahead. No. So what is your experience with Clue? How how So So, uh, growing up um, as a child, I was not the extrovert and athlete like my older brother was. So I had a lot more uh, inward focused and very uh, introspective kinds of things that I did, including reading um, uh, and um, board games was part of it. I loved board games. And while I did have friends who would play them with me, oftentimes I would play them by myself. Um, and one of the ones I got early on was Clue. And I, I, I think I told you all as we were prepping for this that um uh, I tried to figure out just moments ago which actual board game I had to use, and I, I'm almost positive I used the one that was printed and manufactured the year I was born, and that's 1963. Uh, looking at the cards, uh, the uh, tokens, and the board game uh, itself, the board itself, I think that's the one I used. So, so I've thought a lot about why I am completely fascinated with Clue, uh, completely unequivocally, and we're going to get to the point where your podcast. Uh, deuces are going to shut off because I'm going to say it is one of the top five movies in my life. Not necessarily one of the top best movies, but one of the top movies in my life. But anyway, so as a kid, yeah. Yeah. I lo- I loved um, board games, but I love this one, especially for a variety of reasons. First, it was set in a big honkin' mansion. Mm-hmm. And I had a lovely home, but I did not have a big honkin' mansion. I had to go through my mother's bedroom to get to my bedroom, if you want to know kind what kind of house we had. So um, so I loved mansions. I, I also was fascinated with the board game Witch Witch, which also was set in a mansion. Is it about sandwiches or like the occult? Uh, no. no, That's the a little people, eyebrow. It, it was about good old-fashioned cartoon witches. Oh, okay. I mean, good, bad, all kinds. It was fun, but it was set in a, a mansion, and so I loved that. I have a fascination with little objects, so um, so Clue had these these actual uh, tokens that were the rope, the wrench, the the, the lead pipe. Same, much like um, um, Monopoly. Monopoly had little things. I loved Monopoly. I loved Life because it had the little cards with little people. I'm
1: with so- you. I like the little trinkets of things. Yeah.
2: Yeah, those trinkets really fascinated me, which uh, I'm sure a psychologist on this is going to be like, what is Stephen? And-
1: and- yeah, what do Stephen Allen have in common that they both just like the little the little trinkets? It- I-, I liked it as a test that I did to not lose it. It was like I needed to keep. Oh,
2: I never lose anything, which is why I wouldn't let my nephews play with things. <laughs> really- I
0: had actually skeletonized our family clue set because the pictures on the cards were the exact size of the pictures on my high school IDs. So I was Professor Plum for sophomore <laughs> and junior year and nobody ever noticed.
1: It's amazing.
0: Just as the outsider in this, co- this meticulous, uh, holding on to small thing club.
2: <laughs> you know, we love you, Arthur. And you got it. We're, we're buying you all. The <laughs> so anyway, so I had this fascination already. So whenever, um, I learned that there was going to be a movie, um, really, and I think the movie came out in 85, and I can't remember, it was as I was leaving Phillips University and going to Bright Divinity School, and I can't remember if I saw the movies in Enid or in Fort Worth, but wherever it was, no, 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 it had to be in Fort Worth, because I remember driving to Dallas to get to ending C. I went to all three endings. So for those of you who are uninitiated in Clue, just
0: like it's the whole game is based on supposition the movie clue has three endings in which miss peacock is the culprit in which miss scarlet is the culprit and then in which really everybody except for mr green is the culprit and when they put the movies out in theaters they would only show one of the movie or one of the endings to the movie So people had a completely different experience from one another based on what version they saw. And with the version is like a board game. Right. And it's like a board game.
2: I I wanna ask a question about Clue because before you do that, let me just note. The, you would know which ending you were going to because in the movie, remember back when we had newspapers and that was like the only way. Well, you were yeah. not yeah. anyway. There was a no, day yeah. where you only knew about where movies were in a newspaper. They would put just in the little corner A, B, or C in the uh-huh. in the advertisement. Yeah, and so you would know this was ending A, ending B, ending C. So I meticulously went and saw all three. And for the record, doing a little research for this podcast, there was a fourth ending. Fourth. Yeah, that they that they never um, uh, I don't think they actually uh, uh, taped because they thought it was too (laughs) too nonsensical, which is like everything about this friggin movie is nonsensical. Why would you worry about that? But anyway, you're going to ask, Arthur.
0: Well, yeah, so Spiff, I mean, for once, uh, oftentimes I'm the one who watches things for the first time for this podcast and you watched Clue for the first time very recently for this podcast i did what did so I, I i think i can pick up your answer on this question i'm going to ask you and it's a little leading i apologize but it leads into my first like theology question which is what did you think of clue
1: <laughs> um what did i think of clue uh i thought it was fun i think i would have been very into it in my early years had i seen it earlier um i've known the, the 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 Broadway show so it's like i have different relationships with like the kind of storytelling that is happening um uh obviously in this day and age it, it, things that stand out to me are you know some of the very more obvious problematic areas of around race gender you know misogyny all of those lovely things that are deeply embedded right. in so much of pop culture uh and always but prime you know especially when we start to get you know 20 years ago i that's gracious i think but uh so um
2: I'll, I'll take but big. also
1: what
0: i'll take being called 20 that's fine
1: no, I just mean like, I think that they're, you know, that even things being produced now are so problematic, but 20 years, five years ago, like it's, they're all problematic. Uh, I'm a huge Tim Curry fan. So there's that. Uh, I, I'm also a big Christopher Lloyd fan. And so um, great surprise that they were in. However, the biggest surprise of all that made my, you know, like I'm all about a good like nostalgic kind of connection is that leslie ann warren is in it and leslie ann warren is in one of my top five favorite move well like it's not even a romance like a romance drama um, and, um <laughs> sorry <laughs> um no pure country naturally
2: oh. So, <laughs> oh well i didn't even know that and
1: pure- um yeah, and so no, I'm gonna get
2: my uh, note and put uh, pure country and watch. Serious,
1: she's in it, uh huh. She's the she's the like lead. she's the female lead to George Strait, like country music star. I'm a brooding, like, uh, I need to go back onto the farm and like find my roots and fall in love with this horsewoman who was Leslie and Warren. And I was very into like that movie growing up, and so I I'm was fine. like.
0: I'm writing down your compound phrases today because we've already got archery genius and now horsewoman. Um, <laughs> friends, when we launch uh, promotional materials, you're, we're just going to make coffee mugs with the logo on one side, and I'm an archery genius <laughs> on the
2: other.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I, 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 I am. So, what, so, clue, um, it's, so what I'm hearing. So, anyways, it's, it's fun, it's nostalgic. It's, it's a long it's way of saying, genius. like, I enjoyed it
0: approaching it in 2022 might be different from approaching it in I'm going to say 2000 because all the theater kids at my high school discovered it and we were crazy about it the da, da 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 i am your singing telegram you can get a big group of people to yell blam at that um it's but yes it's very much a 1980s comedy um, and it's 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 the old school a uh, friend of mine calls it cat skills comedy it's there's there's the old school in it they're playing it very straight even though it's absolutely just outlandish and ridiculous uh the question then becomes with clue with did you like clue because alan loves it i love it and you watched it <laughs> is is the faithful adaptation of something small into something bigger contextual that is to say when we take um not to say the Bible is small or the church is small, but when we, when we take the, uh, when we take a, actually, this is a church growth question. That's what it is. When churches grow, do we lose what makes it what it is? And do we allow it to become, mm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't ask the first question. I'm going to stop.
1: I think you're right on track though. If Let's
0: talk I- about transformation when things change.
1: Yeah, I think that that's, that's part of the question. And Alan, you, as someone who oversees, for those that don't know uh, what regional ministers do, they're kind of the fulcrum of uh, of the ways in which disciple churches, and I'm speaking again for our denomination. Uh, well, I was like, I could talk about this. Alan, would you like to describe what you do?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, regional ministers are <laughs> essentially, uh, we're the middle managers of the church world. Uh, <laughs> Uh, our, our technical name is we are middle judicatory leaders, which if that didn't put you to sleep, uh, nothing will. Um, and we we are the interface between the larger denominational interfaith world, as well as the local, very specific congregational world. And we try to make both of those work and communicate with each other very well. So I happen to oversee about 155 congregations here in Ohio, and about 370 clergy of all different kinds of ilks. Uh, and it's a as diverse rural and urban and suburban as you can possibly get so but, but so I, you've, I,
1: yeah you've seen do you Oh, keep going please no, no go ahead I was gonna say I, uh, I imagine and in, in your you know tenure as a regional minister in several or in two different locations at least you've seen lots of church growth and transformation which I think is what gets to Arthur's point is in your experience uh what do you think church growth offers and what might we lose when we have a vision for how to just kind of expand rather than like expand together.
2: Right. Right. So, so let me, let me, um, ground this in, in clue, uh, first through yeah. the game, because, uh, watching it now, I watched it on my birthday a few weeks ago, which uh, I think is what kind of put it on your radar. And oh, we, were like, uh, we need Alan to be on the show and he loves clue. And yeah, <laughs> thank you. There we go. And then I watched it again last night and I was reminded um, and one of the the brilliant and the re- one of the reasons why I absolutely love it is because it is, I think, one of the best. The movie is one of the best cultural representation of a completely different entity than I've ever seen. It takes a board game, a static board game from 40 years ago. Well, at that point, it was 20 years Prayer and makes it into something of visual and inter- inter- interactive. So, if, if you watch it, you'll see they repeat the names of the rooms, they repeat Ooh. the names of the weapons, they repeat the names of the characters over and over and over and over and over again. Because when you are playing the game, those are the three things you say over and over again I think it was uh, mrs. White with the um rope in the billiard room and and that just happened over and over say that they did a brilliant job of that and they also the gimmick of having three endings is just exactly what a board game movie is. Well, so, so so now to make the connection then um I think, At this moment in history, so many of the people who are um, the predominant funders of the church, the diehard faithful, the ones who show up are folks who knew church in the 50s and 60s. And it was, I mean, we could look back now and say it was a parody of itself. We could definitely look back and say it was completely inadequate to the times because it really only, this this white Protestant middle-class church. Mm-hmm. only served a certain group of people but um what 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 i think people now try to do is to recreate that with a few bells and whistles thinking that like clue that they were doing something really innovative when like the movie it failed it flopped at least in that moment in history sure um you know when it was produced re- re- it made less than they paid for it that is I think the definition of a, of a movie flop.
1: We don't love it.
2: <laughs> right. And, and I think we're trying to do that right now. And the, the pandemic I thought was going to help us completely rethink church. But now the conversation is, okay, we've live streamed, uh, you know, we've got online giving uh, and our board is smaller. Okay, now let's just do church exactly the same way we did it in 1954 or 1968 or even 1979 right right um, and it's like uh, nope, that is not transformation
0: spiffle you you got it no because like she, she goodbye can
1: argue, have is, a good one everyone, everyone. have a
2: just over it's like yeah yeah and and what's really ironic is i went back and you know i did some google search actually in trying to find which board game i used And then I remembered, oh, like many other games, but I wonder if more with Clue, there are more variations. I think I saw a Big Bang Theory variation. I saw a Game of Thrones variation. And I think think that's people trying to take this essential core of what it is and make it new. And I haven't played any of those. But it feels a lot like what we're talking about here, about church transformation. At what point does the structure of church work eternally, or, or at least you know into the near future, in a healthy, productive, meaningful way that crosses race, culture, class, uh, uh, gender, sexual orientation, how how much of that is essential and can be redone? Or does really the whole friggin' house need to be torn down, conservatory, the hall, the study, and rebuild?
0: Or can clue just be clue and not anything else and not anything more? And can we have
2: other board games in the closet? Right, right. Well, and there are some churches that do uh, I keep picking on 1954. I'm not sure why. It was before my time. Let's let's go with 1963 since that's when I was born. There are churches that do 1963 church really well. And there are some people, even you know, new young people who like 1963 church. Great.
1: Uh, it, when we right, make
2: it the norm and the required way of doing church, that's when we have a problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you have an answer, let us know in the comments. Uh <laughs> no, uh, and I, I think you're saying 1954 because that is where this movie Clue is set. It, the, the first thing you know oh, about right. the first thing you know about Clue is that right. it, in 1954, like it just gives you a date, and so um, which I Thank think you. is helpful, right? It, as we look back in a movie made in '85 that is set in '54, like we get to timestamp where we are, what we are doing, um, and how can we kind of cross-examine and you know critically examine who, you know, the vision that we have cast and the vision that we are living into. Um, One of the things that we're doing at the park right now um, that I've set up to, you know, kind of examine uh, our own participation in uh, systemic oppression, especially around black and brown people uh, is that, and in conjunction with Black History Month, we are doing a reading. So we've got this root curriculum, right? And so we are rooted in history this month. And the reading is the 1619 Project, the, a brief history on the Disciples of Christ that is on their website, the brief history of the United Church of Christ, which is on their website, because those are the two denominations of our church, and then um, a brief history of the park, and the invitation is to say, as you read 1619, or whatever way you're doing it take note of the dates where were where was the park where was the where were the disciples where were the ucc in the 1619 project as you start to read dates that are you know spanning 400 years of oppression and how do you start to see yourself and engage that just around things that are meaningful to you and timelines to open Mm -hmm. up that door of saying like how are we living into who we say we are um and i think that we can do that a lot and i think that clue points us to that as well. The examination of things that we know and things that we don't, what do we share? How do we see our own participation in actions that happen elsewhere that we are innately connected to? Um, when I was watching movie, very much, one, I uh, appreciate that you brought up the, the name, the people, the things, and the places over and over again, um, because I think the church forgets to do that often in our insider language. We forget to say, this is how you give. This is who we are. This is where you are. Um, well, you know, then- this is what we believe. This is who we believe Jesus to be, because that's a different answer for so many people, especially churches that are doing work with the nuns and, you know, all of that. Who Who is God to us, and who is God, how is God working in this world? that definition and answer has changed drastically just because language has expanded, not because God has shrunk. Right. Um, And that is something we forget because we hold on to the original game that we liked so much, right? Because it it brings us comfort and nostalgia and we know it Um, and we know the players. And so when we get somebody new or it's something new in the church, it's often um, we forget to say, okay, so what we know is, we, you know, so-and-so in the, with the Miss Peacock with the wrench in the ballroom or whatever. And, and let me catch you up so that, you know, you can enter the game, you know, like fully prepared.
0: Right. But they, they don't, they do. And they don't name people because the, the names Colonel Mustard and Mr. Green and Miss Scarlet, they're all um, pseudonyms, intentional pseudonyms. And the victims of the night, the people who don't get arrested or walk out away scot-free only a few of them. Actually, it's it's Yvette is the only one who is named. Otherwise, it's the cop, the motorist, the singing telegram girl, the cook. Yeah. Um,
2: well, but I think that is so true to our world. Our I service, was- <laughs> service right. industry, and, are, are the working class, uh, rarely get named. Well, so yeah. if we, and
0: if we're naming the church as, I guess, the mansion. One, I think we should say something about the whole idea of there's there's the people we are at church or in the holy community uh, for better or for worse versus the rest of it. And where that dichotomy can drag us down. And also, though, too, there's plenty of people that are left dead in the wake of the church that we think are acceptable sacrifices. It's I think it's the singing telegram girl yep. where they open up the door and they're just like, oh, crap, another. And they like drag her in. And great. It's
1: well, it's it's, it's the immediacy of someone new. Bye. Like, you know, how how often are we shutting the doors? Um, or how I'll often
0: are we all be on the property committee back. <laughs> Um, Lord.
1: and very much so, yeah. Like how often are we stepping over the cooks of our community, right? Um, and just oh, dropping God. them on their face. How how many churches? One of the things that when I look at churches, because I serve in lots of different denominational spaces, so I look at churches uh and your websites, and how many of uh you have your what we call care staff, but like cleaning staff, support staff on your website as part of your ministries as, um, things like that, you know? And so, uh, the disposability of, uh, some of of the people that are making this house run that are making the community run, the officers, you know, even just the stranger I'm here because my car broke down. Um, you know, how often are we, uh, sacrificing them for just to keep the narrative, to keep our own secrets, to keep the narrative of who we are and what we're doing alive and to what end, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah.
2: And and I think now's the appropriate time to mention that the only uh, two people obviously are uh, persons of color are unnamed and uh, victims. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and that just so replicates what happens in society. It's,
1: it's, um, uh, I mean, the one black, yeah, we were talking earlier, the one black cop uh, who's trying to like, you know, I'm here trying to like ring the bell and say, I, I I first of all, he's come to help, you know, like or to figure it out. He is he is the one that discovers it all and knows the thing. And yet right. the white brigade that comes in at the end is, you know, the hero cops are here to save. Yeah.
2: And to make uh, to make a LGBTQIA connection. And this is going to be a spoiler alert. So anybody that doesn't want to know one of the endings. um the one gay character in one ending makes it clear he is not gay. He's a plant and he's there in order to solve the problem. And it would be, that would be one thing, but on the way out has to announce, and I'm going home to sleep with my wife, which really was a huge slap in the face to an openly gay person like myself. It's like, Oh, got it. Uh, You're using my Identity as a way to get at something um, uh, that never has felt good when I watched that ending. And
0: you know, and for those of you who don't know the history in it, too, like Alan, Alan is one of the giants on which people stand on on shoulders in the DOC. Stop Uh, it! Hey, hey! I'll
1: mute you. I have the power to mute you. You have to. (laughs) You are
0: assembly a few years ago, and I mean it. Like I have been openly gay in every call I've ever had. I, I wasn't out as a student minister because whatever, but I've never I've never had to hide who I am. And it's because like, and I think watching the movie at, at 21 or 22 um, in the midst of the 1980s is a completely different experience from a queer ass 16 year old who was sitting around with a bunch of his weird gay drama friends being like, okay, it's a pretty good joke because it's, it, it's not, it minimizes. And there's minimization in this movie. Oh yeah.
2: People of color of the queer community. Yeah, well, I, I just need to name Arthur that that moment in the hall of the General Assembly stands as an epic moment of my life. Oh man, good. We meet remember you. it like it was yesterday. Oh wow. Um, I I I, I, I do get people who reaffirm my my. My place in history and the fact that I I have opened doors and done some things I'm not perfectly and and not always as well as I want, but that moment reaffirmed that all the shit I have taken and all the hell I have been through and taken like the board of elders of Park Avenue Christian Church through uh, that it was worth it was worth um, uh, it was worth it and so thank you for taking the time to say something. Well, not meant so much to me. Thank you for clearing the way I, and. Yeah. I
0: mean, it's it's a completely it's a very different world because of people like you in it and grateful forever. Yeah. I'm going to burn every bridge
2: behind me just to make it harder for people. (laughs) So I might also place this movie in my own history because you all probably don't know, but 1985 was an epic year in my life. January of that year, I married a woman, my best friend in college, and by uh, middle of the year, uh, we had gotten a divorce because, though she knew I had thought I was gay, she we finally realized that I was not going to not be gay. And then I headed off to seminary as a divorced, openly gay person, and so it was really an epic moment in my life. So, wow. uh, yeah, so so that particular, I'm going home to sleep with my wife, uh, hit in a in a really not so good way.
1: Yeah.
2: But having said that and acknowledging all the limitations of this movie, I want to focus on a couple of things that I think enchanted me as a child with a board game and then really enchanted me as a movie and why it still remains one of my favorites. Um, And one of those is it invites the unknown. So much of life, you get into things, uh, and so much of church life, you get into things, and you feel like that rut is so deep, like a like a New Mexico, uh, you know, tr- tractor rut. There is no way you're getting out of that rut. Just go with it. So much of it, but this movie and the board game had this air of uncertainty. Now I know every board game does, but this one um, really just had that sense. You didn't know who the killer was. And, and if I remember the board game correctly, you didn't even know if you were the killer yeah. until you opened that, that packet of the three cards. So so I love the idea of the possibility uh, that everyone around us has the potential. I, of course, I'm going to put the positive uh, of, of being uh, God incarnate in our lives everyone around us has the possibility of being the most important person in our world. Um, you know, so I I just love that sense of the unknown and possibilities. Um, so I I can say more about that, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Can I tack onto that? Because that's something that I noticed too, that I think is, um, that, uh, I'd love your, you know, your thoughts on and to hear about, Uh, again, you know, two on one's all about like, what can these movies teach the church? And I was like, Oh, there's like, again, It can, there's so much to learn from it. But one of the things that I noticed, um, was that, you know, so everyone comes in and you're given this weapon. Right. And it's with the intention, like it murders, right. They all do the same thing in the end, but they're all very different, and they'll function differently, and they all interact with different people differently. And I'm wondering if you see a like kind of a gifts of the spirit in that same way that we all have these gifts that really. And I'm not trying to say that murder is a gift, but I'm kind of saying right in this moment that the you know the the these uh, again nonviolent conversations, but like that these weapons and things are, are kind of a way in which we can understand. The gifts that we are all given, that all look differently, that all enact differently, that are understood by other people differently. But in the end, God has given them to us for the same purpose, which is kingdom building. Right. Oh, right.
2: Absolutely.
0: I'm tacking on to that because when you play the board game clue, you get your little sheet that you check things off on. And if you Mm -hmm. play the game well, or as my 11 year old accused me of, if you cheat, but it's not cheating. You pay attention to what other people are asking and you're able to figure out what they have based on what the information you have. But the whole point is you can only know if you are in relationship and if you are honest. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if you're paying attention because we do all
2: have the full picture, but it has to be done together. Right, right. Um, Yeah, both of you are, are spot on, spot on. And obviously we have to suspend you know uh, aspects of the game, but for me, it's about potential. Uh, is the word potentiality a word? It, is, it is
1: now. It is now.
2: But but really, you you walk into the mansion, you walk into the church, and really everybody has a gift and everybody has potential. Uh, and I love I love the the thought that you have to pay attention to everybody if if you really really want to be good at uh, at this faith thing. You have to be in relationship and you have to uh, pay uh, attention to each other. Uh, and when used
1: recklessly, oh, keep going. Sorry, no, go ahead. But also, when when used recklessly, you cause you can cause harm, even if it looks like a gift, even if it is wrapped in a beautiful little box. Uh, if you don't use a candlestick well, if you don't use a candlestick to hold candles, you cause either intentional or unintentional harm. Guys, and I think that, yes,
0: Mr. Body is the body of Christ. <laughs> i'm sorry i had to interrupt i had uh, excuse me you're you're doing a
2: real i'm sorry no, i may fine. never play the board game again because of this conversation thank you very much arthur i'm i'm
0: sorry spiff i was interrupting a brilliant thing no,
1: you're fine. welcome to do one one alan um but yeah i mean arthur say more
0: no i am i am so sorry i just was so excited about that and i I, I shouldn't have done that i'm i i, I do ask you. Oh, it
1: brings together it, it gives gifts it says well yeah. use them well it says use them together it says you know like come into this space and and be honest it's a you know all of these things and and transparent and together we can you know we can we can leave together we can do the one thing that's real easy and right in front of us and yet we can t- yeah, together we can leave. Uh, and I think that there's so much that you know we we talk ourselves into these cycles that then all of a sudden you find yourselves out of the the space together that you are kind of have this unified vision and can move into something else and can go towards the kingdom, can go towards the vision you've cast together. But nope, all of a sudden you follow someone into the kitchen and then everyone is dispersed. And not to say that that's not a bad thing sometimes, but it's like you lose track of that vision often right. um and then you got the dogs outside that don't actually do anything can't actually do anything but keep you in
2: oh no and poop and, yes <laughs> and poop
1: yeah but they it's the barking dogs of other it's why we stay in harmful situations right because the barking dogs scare us so much Uh, That we would rather stay inside with the murderers than outside with maybe a dog bite. I don't know, like uh, not to equate one or the other. Again, these are weird spaces in which we're saying things of violence equate into like gifts of the spirit. But I hope you all can. Well,
0: when we talked how I met your mother with Aaron Dickey, we talked about the slap bet as actually a, a real call to accountability in the church. We're not advocating murder. We're not suggesting violence in any way, shape or form is appropriate. Nope, but something you're not. Appropriate. we're doing the work of metaphor, which honestly is faith-based because every metaphor breaks down in the wake of the divine presence anyhow.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yep. So a um... Any more on that? Because I wanted to go to another oh, no, I am I'm, I'm loving I'm loving this. This is just, okay. Cool, cool. You never girl. thought that, that that game or that movie could do this. So another thing I loved was, and I remember it when I went to the movies. I love the fact that the unpredictability of the ending that you could talk with someone else about the movie and not know what they knew. And I love in the church this sense that we can be talking about the same story, but maybe have a sense that they are going to understand it differently, that that they have a different ending in their mind. And to me, that opens up something that we just have so little of in the church, and that is uh, uh, an openness uh, to each other's divine journey. Uh, And not this sense of because, you know, I I do think we're living in a time right now where where, with politics and with um, uh, uh, religion and society and education, there really is this. If you're on my course, you have to stay the course all the way to the friggin end. And if you're not, if you vary from it in any way, shape or form, you are verboten. You are a nemesis. You are um, uh, Satan.
0: Well, if your ending is, in order for there to be winners, there has to be losers, as opposed to, in order for there to be an ending, there has to be all losers. Or, we only win when there's an ending, to just name three eschatological components. Right. <laughs> if you're not willing to say, there's multiple endings to this movie. Right. There, I've never met somebody who's like, no, the only ending is the peacock ending. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't
1: know. We deal... Uh, daily with the synoptics, and I, you know, so you have like they're all part of that same story, but they all tell different parts of it in different ways. So it's it's not as far fetched as what we're thinking that all of this has to teach and do with the church.
2: Right, and and revelation is not the, how how people interpret revelation is not the ending of the story as I know it. At no. all. I mean, it is so far flung from what I know. What I, You know, the whole millennialism, I think, is one of the things that's destroying the church because it makes this pro forma ending rather than what I think it was. I think it was this moment in history that talked about empire and the and the and the the, the cruelty and the inhumanity of empire. And it was the book of Revelation was to teach us how to be faithful to something other than empire and suddenly it becomes this kind of rigid way that the human history has to progress in order for faith to be real. It's like, oh, my
0: God, folks. It's it's because Athanasius, Athanasius had enemies and he wanted to make sure that he could say, if you do not agree with me, you are the Antichrist. Right. As the canon was formed, plenty of folks didn't want revelation. But Athanasius had the votes because the canon was made by votes. And um, there you go.
1: I, I mean, I we all know Revelations, my book. It's, it's yep. the book that I've spent most time in. Shout out to Dr. Carter for uh, really kind of get, setting that on my heart. And then Dr. Kong saying, lean into that. And it is now the work that I'm doing with Dr. Catherine Keller uh, for my demon project is working in Revelation. And I'm like, over the moon excited to help people because i love breaking revelation down in a way yes when a clue breaks down who the murderer is i love breaking revelation down for people that who have used it not only to harm but to harm themselves who have who have embodied this uh you know this fear uh for no reason other than again empire and capitalism and sexism and patriarchy um and racism. Uh yep, yep. you know all the yes, things. Yes
2: yes and yes. Uh
1: and so but to help people see themselves in in that story in a way that is liberating is so c- like clutch to who I, I feel God has called me to be in the church. And in the same way just sharing our own stories, right? Part of what clue does is invites you to share your story. Right.
2: Um
1: and the parts of the story that you want to share. It's very uh like consensual of like what do you know about yourself? What do you know about others that you want to share in this group at this time? You have other opportunities to, you know, be known in new ways and in new spaces your, your next time around. Uh, and so, you know, I, we get new people at shout out to, uh, one of our congregants, Trevor, who was in clue last year, two years ago, he'll let us know, um, uh, as a, a digital stage reading. And, uh, new to our church here's you know some of the history of like 10 10 players and things like that and it's like and then finds themselves invigorated into new spaces and you know all of that is what clue has to teach the church it is to say here are some gifts share your story as you are called it takes community to do the work that you need to do to get done and your story can change and we're still here for that too
2: right you, you make me think of, um, I learned something in doing a little bit of research for the podcast that I didn't know. And um, that was, Clue is in um, in cinematography history, Clue has a special place as one of the last films to involve a gimmick. Now, I didn't know this, but before that, especially in the 50s and 60s, there was a movement to come up with gimmicks. Um, one of the gimmicks was, um, oh, that uh, the seats were had some kind of a, 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 a air blowing thing that in the middle of a particular scene in the movie where, the, you know, uh, there's a, supposed to be a huge storm. You felt, you know. The, the air blow. Another one had some cheesy um, like gorilla that flies out from the ceiling and everybody doesn't know it's air. So these gimmicks. Well, I love the fact that the gimmick, maybe the last gimmick of this era of movie making, was uncertainty, was uncertainty. Um, I mean, to me, that's just constitutionally different than having, you know, you know, something blow on your on your legs or something, you know, fly out from the ceiling or something like that. Um, so I, I just think kudos to the uh, uh, to the uh, movie makers for thinking creative, okay. creatively when it came to a gimmick.
1: Ooh, yes. The,
0: so the church, which I would say it's heydays between 1954 and 1985. Um, I, As we know it. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a lot. And I, I guess I'm talking about the. Majority white Protestant mainline, um, that is still supported very much by the late builder, early boomer generations. And there's a lot of great things that happen, and this is not anti-everything. I, I don't deal in dichotomies, only Siths deal in absolutes. Um, it's the I, I think the heyday, the 54 to 85, I think the church is trying to repeat the same gimmick.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, well- like, because we we already know and we haven't even moved out of uncertainty. We've thought, by God, we're going to double down on the air blowing out of the seats. And if you don't like it, you are wrong. Uh, rather yeah. than if it's not speaking to you, how do how do we have to address a changing world?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, we tried the online worship thing, but now we can stop streaming and we can go back to Grandma Moses's favorite four hymns. And he walked with me done as slowly as possible.
1: <clears throat> but I wonder, Alan, if as as a regional minister uh, in, you know, for the church, if you see. Or I mean, what if you see that happen, you know, like it, 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 I, was, I was trying to go back and what might. We know already that we don't know that we know that helps us actually lean into like moving forward like what what skill sets are out there that you're seeing um you know people share about themselves or about how they're doing church and not so much that if you are wrong, but like how do we because I don't think we've had a church heyday. I like to believe that we're we're moving towards it. um and so what what might we know? About you know, the gifts that we have at the church and as someone that's in that middle adjudicatory level, uh, that we should maybe lean into to say, no, actually, this is how we this is how we find out who the murderer is, this is how we move forward, this is how we we get to that heyday.
2: Right, right. Well, um, yeah, it's changed uh, since uh before, not just because I'm in a different region, but also because I, I do think that we're in a different world uh, than we were three years ago. Um so so part of it is, well, I, th- I think the, the fundamental uh, answer to your question is, uh, to thine own self be true. I-, I think part of what has gotten us in trouble, well, I think I think the church was comfortable and complacent about everything, particularly about its own racism and its own white supremacy, its own misogyny, oh my God, uh, and its own um, uh, heterosexism. Um And um, but one of the things that, you know, if you boil down any transformational uh, technique that really is worth anything, it is that sense of to thine own self be true. Know who you are. Know Know what the gifts and graces in the community you've got are, not what you had 50 years ago, not what you want to have, not what your pastor has, but what your community has. Know what your neighborhood and, and the community around you needs. You know, it's that, it's that you know, magical, uh, you know, uh, you've seen so many memes now, it's all, almost uh, crazy about, you know, what the world needs and what you have to offer and what God is calling you to and that kind of magical place of, of in there. But there really is some truth in that because I think those congregations, whether they're small, medium, large, rural, urban, suburban, whatever, um, the ones that really are grounded and have a sense of their place in history, and not necessarily that they're going to survive, because I don't think that ultimately is a healthy goal, Yeah. but those that, those that have a sense of groundedness in God and God's call really understand who they are, what they can do, their limitations, their possibilities, and they live into that. Ooh. That is beautiful. Yep. Um, the ones that aren't are the ones that are always trying to be something other or use a gimmick. Uh, and we've got so many charlatans. I lived through the 90s where, oh, my God, the whole church growth movement was, ah charlatan after charlatan. And I bought those books. I went to those, uh, seminars. I was going to say webinars, but we didn't have webinars back then. Uh, I went to those seminars, you know, uh, I, I went to the general assembly, pre-assembly events and, and, and bought into all that. Um, but it really was, you know, skip over who you are and try to be someone you're not. Um, you know, and, and right now, a lot of the, uh, research is saying that the congregations that have managed, um, this a pandemic the best, for good or for ill, are those that were big enough, I mean, like really big enough that they already had settled into an image of who they were, essentially kind of an institutional church. And they already had all the the gimmicks, i.e. online giving, um, live streaming, um, you know, um, uh, an organizational structure that was lean, uh, a connectedness that didn't require the pastor to have to call on everybody in the hospital. Those congregations are the one that kind of bump and then kept going and are really thriving. I've got a couple of those in Ohio. I don't have a lot, but we have a couple. Um, I don't think it's so much because they were big. I think it's because they really just understood who they were and what they were to people because people who go to a really, really large church go for a particular reason as opposed to a little tiny church. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so, so what I would say as, as a gift, um, uh, if, from this movie i don't know but i would say to churches that really want transformation really breathe deep there is no single fix that's going to fit any and everybody and just know who you are know who you need to serve and listen to god and do it amen
1: amen um, I, yeah wow
0: Alan Harris, it's been a pleasure to have you with us on Two on One today to talk about the movie Clue. On Two on One, we end with a final question, except today it's a different question. Spiff, who done it?
1: It's Arthur in the study with the letter opener. It
0: was. It was me. And you know what? I'm going to get away with it, too.
1: (laughs) I thought so. That is how it could have happened.
0: On two on one, we end with a final question. In I the world, think it's would you gather some of the it's biggest stars? Don't even allow
2: the all all them together. They have, they have them really interact. In and here are my answers. Uh, I mean, playing uh, off of each other.
1: Ew. You just didn't stand <laughs> a chance. That is also how it could have happened.
0: On two on one, we end with a final question.
1: But this is how it actually happened. Alan, thank you again for coming back on. Uh, It is obviously incredible to have you here. We're big fans, obviously. We're big fans of you uh, and your work and the work that you continue to do uh, for the church, the ways in which you continue to invite us to play the game uh, and also invite us to start over when we have, you know, (laughs) when you just can't figure out who done it. Um, So... As is tradition, uh, we have our final question, which is what biblical theme, narrative, scripture, verse, kind of the expansiveness of the the Bible, canon, faith uh, are you most reminded of in Clue?
2: Well, I've referenced it a little bit in this podcast, but I'll just have to name it. And that would be the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, uh, We do not know uh, the future, uh, but uh, we have one who whispers possibilities in our ear and when we get to that ending, we'll know the right ending. Hmm. Oh,
1: Yeah.
0: Are there? I have two answers in honor of Clue having numerous endings. My less serious answer is Mrs. White is the Samaritan woman uh, because she has had five husbands. They should be like <laughs> uh, soft, uh, strong, and disposable. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm going to say that Mrs. Peacock is... I'm actually struggling with this one. I would say Miss Peacock is the church at Corinth or the the early church that has to have letters written to it because there's a line um, that, um, I'm sorry, I'm actually looking at quotes right now to make sure I get it right. Professor Plum says, what are you afraid of? A fate worse than death? And Mrs. Peacock says, no, just death. Isn't that enough? (laughs) and i think that's a prophetic word to the people of the resurrection both uh in the times of paul and james and everybody else and to us
1: and the corinthian women um yeah
0: the corinthian women are amazing
1: uh yeah oh i like that too i think mine's a big more expansive uh not expansive but like uh broad let's say um i'm gonna go with each of the characters as authors of biblical books of the canon not necessarily minding which one but the fact that they all are a part of the larger story we're trying to tell they all know different things that they are that they have experienced that they are and aren't willing to tell the whole group that they have documented in different ways um and when you piece the whole thing together you still don't even have the full the fullness of what could be um or even the fullness of what is wow and so uh and so i think for what this can teach the church in lots of different ways is that we are all part of this larger narrative and a larger story. And it's what we choose to, to tell, document and give uh, as part of our collective memory of this time in space and how God is working um, is is important to how we understand um, what could be.
2: You two are friggin brilliant. Always. You are too, Alan. Thank you for coming yeah. on to the show. Can we, can we do this exact same show again next week? Because I have like 10 times more things to say now that you've got my brain thinking. It's like, oh my God, oh my God.
0: Reverend Alan Harris, thank you so much for being on Two on One. A reminder that we are sponsored by Jeff row Designs in the Sanctuaries with the liturgical textiles. You can go to J E F F W U N R O W J-E-F-F-W-U-N-R-O-W.com in just a minute and look at the full catalog of options and customization options available for you, those you love, and those you might secretly murder in a mansion in 1954.
1: <laughs> and also make sure you use the code 21115 for 15% off your entire store order.
0: Two and one are words. One and five are numbers. Good luck. Call us if you need us. (laughs) Uh, Two on one. I'm the Reverend Arthur Stewart. I'm the Reverend Seventy Kendall. I'm the Reverend Alan V. Harris.
1: Here Uh, you are.
0: (laughs) And thank you. We'll see you next time, deuces. Get more two on one at twoononeproject.com.